everybody and welcome to Love Unlocks Live Sessions. Uh, so wonderful that you can join us. Thank you. I can see people logging on. Please tell us where you are logging on from. And uh, if you're in the UK especially, I would love to know today uh, because we our guest is from there. So that's <laughs> pretty amazing. Love Unlocks, if you're here for the first time, it is a basically a talk show where I speak to people who have amazing stories of how God's love has unlocked their lives and continue to unlock other people's lives through their ministry, their work, or their families. And it's just such an amazing thing to, it started in June, and we've had over 40 guests, and it's been amazing. Thank you for those of you who have been on the journey with us. We really appreciate it. And it's brought to you by our ministry, Love Key. And at Love Key, we believe that healthy families build a healthy nation, and uh, we want to minister that to as many people on as many platforms as we possibly can. And for those of you who don't know yet, uh, I've got some great Great news, exciting news, maybe, uh, you know, some, uh, to some people it may be a bit crazy news. We started a, the Love Key Church just two weeks ago and uh, it's been amazing. God has been with us, guiding us, leading us in that and it's been wonderful. Uh, and if you are in the, the area that we're in, Somerset West, Helderberg area, and you don't have a spiritual home, please feel free to check out um, our, our address and we, we meet up and you can come and join us. Um, my wife and I just want to remind you, we are busy doing a Let's Talk Marriage seminar online. It's been going for a while. There's still a couple of weeks left and you can still join, catch up on the sessions and catch us live for uh, the sessions that we have remaining. It'll be great if you guys can join us for that. Um, today, I've got an exciting guest all the way from, uh, I just have to get the city right, Manchester. I almost said the wrong thing. <laughs> and uh, he is the senior pastor of Audacious Church. What a cool name for a church. We met a couple of years ago when I was at Anthony Liebenberg's church in Seapoint, Life Church Seapoint. They were having a summit and this gentleman and his wife were there and they just uh, had such an amazing teachings. I was so impacted by them and uh, to see how they have just grown, how their ministry has grown and what's happening with them in the UK. It's just been amazing. And uh, recently he was he was uh, called up to be the national leader of the Assemblies of God Church in the UK. Uh, so please welcome on Love Unlocks today, all the way from the UK, it's Pastor Glenn Barrett. Yes. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, South Africa. Hello to our friends and family all around the world. It's good to be with you today, Heinz. Wonderful. Thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. How are you doing? How's your family doing? How's your church doing? It's been it's been quite a year. Yeah, well, I think it would be fair to say that 2020 doesn't look like what we thought it would look like at the beginning of 2020. But listen, mate, God's still good. Amen. Of thing, um, you know, church has has been like most parts of the world. It's been online. We've been doing church online, and uh, people have been connecting from all around the world. We've had latest count is about 150 different churches that are sorry, 150 countries of the world wow. watching online, which has been fantastic. That's amazing. Um, you know, serving the local community, doing the things that church should be doing. That's good, and uh, and then also on top of that. Next week, my wife and I celebrate 25 years of marriage. Whoa, and, uh, that's huge. A quarter huge, of a eh? century. Wow. 
Well, I, congratulations. I still don't know mine, honestly, mate. I've got no <laughs> idea what she's talking about half the time. I still don't know what that look means when she gives me those looks. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, well, that's. So I should do your marriage. I should come. <laughs> Uh, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. But I'm sure you you guys have, have an amazing one as well. But, you know, that's why someone said that the Bible says to men, love your wives. It doesn't say understand your wives. Just, you know, just love them. <laughs> so, it's, I'm going to use that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's thank you. Thank you. I, I stole it from somewhere. But, you know, you can, say, you can give me the credit if you want to. <laughs> uh, what an amazing opportunity to chat to you. I really appreciate it. We've got people uh, dialing in from all over the place, Port Elizabeth, uh, Paula Kwane, Johannesburg. Uh, we've got V from Ribble Valley, Lang Lancashire. That's amazing. Oh, Hi, <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, so we've got a few people logging in. It's so great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, brother, I... You know, I value marriage. I value family. And it's so great to hear you guys are coming up to 25 years. That's amazing. Um, please tell us the story of, of how you and your wife met and how long was it between meeting and you popping the question? Um, I'd love, I always love to hear those stories. Well, I'm, I'm English born, Manchester boy by birth. Family moved to Australia when I was two. When I was 15, my family moved back to Manchester. My dad was a pastor. And then when I was 20, I went to go back to Australia to go to Bible seminary. It was while I was at the Bible seminary that I met my wife. We were actually picking tomatoes in a tomato patch. No way. That's how I got to know her. I was saving money to, to pay for my Bible college fees. And um, I went to my Bible college first year. At the end of my first year, Sophie then came to do her first year as well. So I was a second year. She was a first year. We actually weren't together, boyfriend, girlfriend at all. We knew each other. We were friends. I was actually, Heinz, dating a girl, and Sophie was dating the girl's brother. No so the way. So were oh, friends, wow. and we were together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and through the course of events, at the end of, towards the end of my second year of Bible college, Sophie and I started dating, and then we got married about a year later. So at the end of our third year of Bible college, my third year of Bible college, and then we moved straight to England to be youth pastors in, in Yorkshire. So from, from first meeting her to marrying her was around three years. Okay. Wow. And, and did, you, like, did you fall in love or were you like, I have a girlfriend, so not going there, but then eventually something changed? What changed and when in that process? Well, Sophie is, Sophie is Latin American. She, her family are South American. So obviously they're incredibly passionate. She's yeah. very wise, well, my wife, um, and has been known to, to house a few opinions as well. And so the, the thing that I really loved about Soph, you know, in getting to know her was just the fact that we could have some very good conversations on things. And she was very happy to disagree with me on things as well you know so we had some very robust conversations and debate obviously you've just seen the picture she is beautiful oh yeah <laughs> uh what had happened in terms of our relationships was the relationship uh the, the girlfriend that i had at the time uh we ended up obviously <clears throat> not carrying on and um you know sophie and i would spend more time together <clears throat> and she became my greatest friend 
Sure. And you know, I, obviously I was attracted to her without a doubt, but she became my best friend and just couldn't imagine not seeing her every day and, and doing life together. And, uh, you know, we, we just had so much fun together, lots of laughter, lots of conversation, lots of debate. She would argue, I would listen. And, uh, you know, I'm really passionate when she starts speaking in Spanish as well. So, yeah. Oh, so, um, That's so cool. I love it. I love it. That's so cool that you have that. There's the passion, the attraction, but also, you know, connecting in your mind and, and you know, having that challenge. I, I think that's, that's awesome. It keeps things alive. Definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's so cool. What is, when you think of, of Soph, she's Sophia, but everyone calls her Sophie, right? That's what I'm picking up. Yeah. Okay. Sophie, Sophia, Soph, I mean, whatever works. All right. Um, what is the first word that comes to mind when you, when you think of her? Wise. She's incredibly smart. Okay. Uh, you know, she's incredibly well-researched. And so the reason I say her name, actually, Sophia, is Greek. It means wisdom. And, you know, she's just a very, very, very smart person. Sure. Um, she's lots of fun. There's lots of laughter. She is quite self-effacing. People yeah. laugh with her and laugh at her. But little do they realize that behind the whole thing, there is absolute genius. Mm. And uh, so she's a very smart person. The whole coronavirus that's caught everybody by surprise. My wife was well-researched, well-read, uh, pretty learned on the subject even before it hit our nation. And even in terms of responding to, to, to social issues in society, uh, she is my go-to person in, in the sense of we have very robust conversations about things even before we roll out any vision practice mm. programs in the life of our church. So she's incredibly smart. That's amazing. Yeah, and she's an incredible communicator as well. I really I remember being so impacted by the way she taught at uh, Life Church and again uh, at uh, was it Liberty Liberty Church in Joburg when I saw you guys again. Uh, just amazing. Yeah. And you you guys have yeah. two beautiful kids. Uh, Georgia and Jaden, they, uh, they the, I don't know how off, uh, how recent that photo is, but uh, please give us the word that comes up for each of them as well and why. So, yeah, that photo was taken about five months ago in lockdown. Okay. And just a, a socially distant shot from one of the photographers in our church who came to do some family <laughs> shows. Right there. The one on the left was actually February this year. And uh, listen, when, when I think about Georgia, uh, the word that comes to mind is just sweet. She is just the sweetest person in the world. You know, uh, when I think of my son, uh, the word soft-hearted comes to mind. Mm. You know, he likes, he likes football. He's a, he's a proper English young man in that sense, soccer. You know, he's really passionate about it, loves it. My, wow. my daughter loves people. Um, but, but she has a sweetheart. And he has a soft heart. And they're, they're two things that we really value in our children so much. So when people meet them, that's usually the response that we get from adults at a later point about our children. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're awesome. I love it. And, so, and, my, daughter's my daughter's 20. My son's 17. Both of them single. So if there's any rich parents out there and you're interested <laughs> in, in seeing the man and God's children, then, then, then let me know. Contact me via Heinz. So sign up now. Marrymychild.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, that that's amazing. Um, 
You've, you've been to South Africa quite a few times, from, just from what I know, but I'm sure there's been many more times. Um, wh- what do you, when you talk about your experiences here, when you see people back in the UK or, or wherever you travel and they haven't been here, what, what do you say to them about South Africa? What stands out for you? I say to people, you have to go. Yes. I mean, my wife and I were actually planning to bring the kids for this new year, actually, post-Christmas, and we were going to come and spend two weeks down in the Camps Bay area of, uh, you know, around from, down, around from where you are, really. Yeah. And, uh, and that, I mean, South Africa is fantastic. I, several things come to mind. Firstly, the, the, the people. I love the people, the Rainbow Nation. Yeah. You know, you, you, get, you get effectively all the nations of the world gathered in, in South Africa, you mm. know, so many cultures, so many languages. And... I'm, I'm super aware as well that I spend the majority of my time in, in the church world, Christian world in South Africa. And so there's a certain part of South Africa that I see that comes along with that. But, but everything I've experienced is wonderful. The scenery of the country is just stunning. Everything from Table Mountain all the way through to your different safari parks, the long yeah. drives that we've done in South Africa, you know, is, is quite stunning. And of course, the, the, the food, the, 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 the amount of different types of food and, and things, it, it truly is an amazing, amazing thing. We actually really love South Africa and even at times have thought maybe maybe we should buy a property in, in Musenberg <laughs> or somewhere like that. I yeah. did have a look at a, a, in a Musenberg once, but the sharks in the bay there put me off. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's brilliant, mate, and, and we have some great friends and I've probably been to South Africa around 20, 25, maybe even 30 times. Oh, wow. Sure. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, so I'm just thinking now quickly, you, you've, uh, sorry, I'm a little bit back to where you come from, where you lived for a long part of your life. You, you were born in the UK, but you lived in, in Australia for a very long time. Do you, it's a lot of what, yeah. What do you consider to be your nationality? <laughs> or how many passports do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on who's playing. At the time, okay. So if we're talking, we're talking cricket. Yeah, I'm England. Okay, England. Yeah, yeah. If it comes to rugby, I'm Wales because my mum and dad were Welsh. Okay. Um, but I think Australian. I sound Australian, you know. So I, I guess a lot of my perspective comes from living in a big country called Australia, like South Africa. Yeah. Big houses, big cars, big road. Everything's just big. The yeah. sky's big, you know. Which, space. in terms of experience, yeah, space. Mm. Being in England, you know, our cars are smaller, the houses are smaller, the roads are smaller, and I do think that in some part that does condition the way you view things. So, um, yeah, I am. I have two passports: Australia and and Great Britain. Okay, great. And I mean, you mentioned mm. two sports, but I know there's one sport that is very close to your heart. That, and you, you know, when you're not talking about Jesus, you're talking about a specific team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please, please share, please share with us. You've got the mic. You know, just who should people scream for at at the football matches? <laughs> well, listen. Let me just put it out there: Manchester United have a devil on their shirts, and Manchester City do not. So if you want to worship the devil, there you, go. you know, support the <laughs> United. But if you truly want to be a follower of Jesus, support Manchester City. There you go. Um, yeah, no, I am a Manchester City fan. I, I have season <laughs> tickets for the club there and go as much as I possibly can every season. And have, have been a lifelong Man City fan, actually. Being Manchester-born, 
raised in Australia. My dad actually supported Manchester City. So even before Manchester City were the team that they are, winning t- titles and trophies and, and stuff, I was following them when nobody had really ever heard of them. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, what, you what about you when it comes to English soccer? Who would it be? I am completely out of that boat. I have I did not grow up with it. I I know nothing about it. I I remember shortly after I, I I won idols here in South Africa. I was on a sports show to promote a single, and they I was supposed to go on for five minutes promote the single and get offset, but they kept me there. And I remember they were talking about football or in South Africa soccer. You know I know we're not supposed to say that, um, but <laughs> they. And then at one point I was I was sitting like this looking up at the roof at the ceiling and they caught me on camera being like completely spaced out not interested in this at all it was it was not a good moment um so yeah I I wish I could passionately talk with you about football but I I just it's not a thing for me so but I, I love rugby I I watch that I follow yeah. that um big fan there but yeah <laughs> since we're on embarrassing moments um can you please share one with us from from your uh, vast travels around the world and many stages Gosh Heinz there are so <laughs> many I think when you live on stage you also die on stage and uh, you can. um <laughs> stories bad stories listen probably one of the worst was I was speaking at a major convention in Northern Ireland, just outside Belfast. The the front row was the theological who's who in the Christian zoo. I mean, it was an amazing lineup of individuals, theologians, academics on the front row. And um, I, uh, I was doing all the evening sessions over five, six nights, and the other, the other academics and theologians were doing the morning sessions. And on the second last night while I was speaking, I invited people to the front for a moment of prayer and thinking that the stage stopped effectively here, but it stopped further back. And I stepped off the stage into nothing, fell about five feet off the stage, face planted oh, into no. the ball. And that was, I winded myself. That was pretty bad. Now, the problem was this oh, everybody, you're talking thousands of people, lots of laughter, lots of shock. And all through the next day, people were laughing at me for, for falling over. Oh, but I got them back the final yeah. night. I said, How many saw me fall over? And everyone cheered. I said, Well, listen, the Bible says it's not about how many times you fall over, it's about how many times you get up. <laughs> and I'm preaching. So I, I had to turn it around, but it was a pretty embarrassing moment. Oh, man. Well, you know, to, I'll have your back because I've been on many stages and they the guys backstage were supposed to mark that with white tape so that you are not confused. <laughs> but that is not that is not a nice moment, I can imagine. But it sounds like you uh, you literally jumped back on your feet. That's so good. <laughs> well, I've also, I've also asked a gentleman, I said, yeah, you, sir, come up on stage. And the re- response comes, I'm not a man, I'm a woman. That was embarrassing as well. No! Um, and there's moments oh like that. Goodness. You the ground open up and swallow your hole. Mm. Uh, 
I want to ask you something. The because I had a, a, a session like this with a, a pastor from from here in South Africa, and I asked him about his embarrassing moment. He said it happened about three times to him that his accent got him into trouble when he was uh, ministering to Americans mostly. Um, <laughs> has you know you being from you know a few different nations probably have a mixed accent. Have you ever you know? <laughs> It's pronounced a word in a certain way and people are like, what is he talking about? Or not really. Yeah, have pronounced a word in a way that in that cultural context, because it sounds so different, has either been perceived to be rude, um, offensive, or, or just the vague look kinds of people just yeah. staring at you going, what are you talking about? <laughs> that makes in the no UK, sense. <laughs> yeah, we talk about being in a line, you know, when you're in a line of people or yeah. a line of cars, uh, in England, we call it a queue. I was queuing up, but in in same in yeah, but in the United States, they have no concept of the queue. No. So preaching a message on on and you, and a major illustration is the principle of queuing, and people are just staring at you like we have no <laughs> idea. That's the whole point, you know. What I mean? so, yeah. Yeah, they're like it, it's, they've it's, got a pool queue, like they want to, you know, that thing you put on the top of your pool pool stick. Totally. <laughs> oh, totally. No, that's that's hilarious when that happens. Oh man! Um, well, you've you've done some you've done so much in your life already. I was reading your uh, a bit of your background biography, the things that God has blessed you with, and and it's just amazing to see. And I can see the hearts of you, you and your wife when you guys do what you do, and you've got a vision offering going on. Um, what can you share? What what is it that you still want to see happen? Uh, in your lifetime, your your dream for your church, your community, um, what are you guys excited about for the future? That's a great question, Heinz. Uh, the the answer is always for me got to come back to Jesus, and the reason I say that is because when you discover something that is so remarkably life changing, you want as many people to encounter that as possible. Amen. You know, I. Uh, recently found um, an amazing shop that sells leather jackets and they were so good that I bought two <laughs> and they were a lot cheaper than I would usually spend on a leather jacket and I thought to myself, they can't truly be that good quality. When they arrived, they were both amazing, great cut, great leather, great stitching, great zips, great everything and I was saying to all my friends, oh guys, you have got to check out this shop that sells leather jackets, look at the quality and became an evangelist, if you like, for the shop. <laughs> now, let's press pause on a, on a leather jacket and think about something or someone who transforms you from the inside out, mm. removes your hurt, your pain, your insecurities, gives you a sense of purpose, a sense of confidence, gives you direction in life, effectively becomes the answer to all the unanswered questions of your life, you find that in a moment and in a purpose and in a person, how can you not become passionate about that person and that cause, yeah. which is Jesus Christ? So, so I live in a city of nearly three million people, the majority of which don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so you say, What's your passion? What what keeps you going? That's what it is. Seeing as many people as possible come into contact with the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's not my job 
to see them turn to Jesus, but it is my job to present the good news in a way that's attractional, in a way that makes people think, wow, I want to know more about this God that this guy is living for and speaking about. So when it comes to our church, we're really committed to that cause. Our vision statement is to be a church that stops the traffic numerically so large that we create traffic jams. And the reason I say that is because when soccer, when cricket's in session, there's traffic jams. But on a Sunday when churches are in session, there's no traffic jams. So what does it look like to see so many people come to faith in God? For me, it looks like traffic jams on a Sunday. So that keeps us going. That keeps us getting up. That keeps us motivated. It keeps us you know, serving our community with hot meals and, and accommodation and uh, the 300-plus families that we're currently pastoring across our city who are living with cancer, and we provide all, our, all the pastoral care for those families and, and everything we do in between. It's really all about seeing people understand just how magnificent Jesus is. That's amazing. Uh, please, uh, I would love for you to share the, the whole, the big point of, of these Love Unlock sessions is for people to hear how God has unlocked your life. You know, we, we've been we've been saying the word lockdown so many times, you know, <laughs> and you guys recently had lockdown again on a, on a whole new level. Um, and I, I think it's important to talk about the stuff that, that unlocks. Uh, and the best thing is, like you say, is when you meet Jesus, the way His love unlocks your life. Um, I, you know, I know you grew up in a Christian home with, with parents that were ministers as well, but uh, please share with us, how did, how did you come to know Jesus personally? Um, and and what, what were some landmark moments for you after that conversion experience that just led you deeper into your relationship, into your calling that you're now uh, walking in? Yeah. I think growing up in in church, growing up in a Christian family is both a good thing and a challenging thing Mm. because you can begin to take for granted, you know, the the stuff that your parents taught you about, uh, the things that you were raised in. We tend to take for granted the things that are familiar to us, don't we? It reached Mm. uh, a point when I was only 12 years of age, actually, that I'd recognized that it seemed to me that we Christians were more known for what we couldn't do than what we could do. Mm. And it felt really incongruent with Scripture because the Bible says, Galatians 5, for example, in the Bible, it was for freedom that Christ has come to set you free. In John chapter 10, yeah. verse 10, Jesus said, come that you might have life and have life to the full. And I, I realized that at the age of 12, what I had was religious rules and an understanding of those rules but really missed out on the essence of the freedom that comes in life in Christ. So I get got together with just a handful of friends, 12, 13-year-old boys from our youth group. I was 12, and I said, guys, listen, we all know God because of who our parents are. Do you want to maybe pray and see whether or not he's really there, he's really real? Wow. Because I don't know you, I, I don't want the rule stuff. Mm. I, I know this person that our parents are saying is really there Mm. and started to pray on a a monday night heinz we had two two rules for the prayer meeting the rule was this we didn't want any adults there because they were part of the problem and the second rule was we didn't want to have any girls in the prayer meeting of course because we wanted to know the creator and not gaze at the created if you know (laughs) what i mean that's very wise for a 12 year old boy well done (laughs) i know some would say stupid (laughs) <laughs> um, 
And we prayed, and that night my four friends really had a touch of God. Mm. They just really encountered God in, in a way for the first time that changed them, but I didn't. So I said, should we pray tomorrow night? And we came back tomorrow night, and there was about 12, 15 of us, and a lot of my friends really had an encounter with God. And I'll explain what that means in a moment, but not me. Mm. It got to Friday night. We prayed every night together. And on the Friday night, there was about 60 or 70 12 and 13-year-old boys what? squeezed into, this, into what it was our youth pastor's office. We wouldn't let him, him in because yeah. And really saw God. And I prayed to God. I said, God, if you're really real, I really need to see you. I really need to know you. Mm. And all I can say, Heinz, is I just had a moment where deep within I had a, an awakening, an understanding of God, of his love, of his love for me, mm. and also at that moment had an encounter with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God mm. the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed me in a moment. Mm. And I can really say that in that moment I was, I was saved. I'd become a Christian. I'd encountered God that changed my outlook on life forever. Mm. In that moment... I knew that one day I would be a preacher, one day I would be a pastor, that this was the trajectory that my life was really going on from that point. And the, the clear moments from that age of, of being a 12-year-old to now being 48 uh, has really looked like me going to altar calls, going to the front of a church service at the end of a meeting and saying to God, God, here I am, my life is yours, everything and anything you want me to do, I will do for you. I surrender my life to your will. And those have been the key moments on the journey from being a 12-year-old boy to being a man in his 40, you know, late 40s, right now, 48. They have been the key, clear moments mm. that have helped me to navigate the journey, stay true to that path. I resign as CEO of my world. You are the CEO of my world. I trust you and I want to be obedient to your voice in my world. Sure. That's amazing. It's it's amazing for me to hear that even as a as a twelve year old you had natural leadership abilities, you know, to call a bunch of twelve, thirteen year old boys together uh, and for them to actually rock up and then bring more people the next night. That's that's amazing. And and just, yeah. the thing is it didn't feel like leadership, it just felt like friendship. Yeah, okay. It felt like me not knowing how to pray on my own. Yeah. I don't know how am I gonna fill an hour? How am I gonna fill an hour and a half? I don't know. Probably the best way is to have a group of friends come and pray at the same time. So that, that's kind of what it was. But yeah, I guess it was embryonic leadership starting yeah, to grow. Absolutely. And uh, I, I mean, that's how it is when, when someone has a gift on their life. They don't even necessarily realize that they they have yeah. that gift. When, when you ask certain people, how do you do that? They're like, I just do it. <laughs> and and maybe it was something like that. And now, you know, you, you're, you're, I think it's like over 500 churches in the UK that, that it's under the assemblies of God. And I mean, that's just amazing. And uh, from what I can see, it looks like the, you know, friendship, leadership, servant leadership is still at the heart of who you are. And that's what it seems yeah. to me like, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Servant leadership is, is the definition, you know, in leadership circles, uh, they would call it transformational leadership. But, you know, in theology, we would definitely call it servant leadership. The, the servant lifestyle, the servant leadership style of Jesus is, uh, has got to be really the way we, um, I think, we model our leadership. Yeah, sure.
I remember listening to you at, uh, at Liberty Church in Joburg about also a part of your story and how you guys, how you guys started um, a church or a youth ministry or something. And you, you, you and your friend got got together. The one week you would preach and he would get saved, and the other week he would preach, you would get, and the other way around. And you start saying we should get some more people here. Um, and then you did something quite quite interesting. You went to nightclubs, right? And uh, please please tell us a little bit of what happened there. Yeah, so this was, I was 15 years of age. My family relocated from Australia to England and my dad asked me to be involved in, in the youth ministry and, you know, probably over six and seven and eight weeks, we would we would do a youth meeting the way we thought youth meeting should happen. Somebody would lead worship, somebody would speak, but nobody was coming. Mm. And so, you know, long story short, we, we kind of identified, well, where are the young people? And the answer was they're all in the nightclubs. Yeah. So let's go nightclubs. And so we never actually, I was never old enough to get into a nightclub, but what I would do is I would go and stand in a line at a nightclub, also at fish and chip shops, wherever there was a line of people. A my queue. friend would come and stand. Wherever yeah, there was a, a queue. queue. <laughs> <laughs> and he would come and stand 10 people behind me, and then he'd shout out, hey, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? And I'd say, oh, I'm going to church. He goes, oh, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I am. He'd say, well, tell me about Jesus. I would. So we'd have a conversation together that just, happened to be in a line of people with 10, five people in between us who had to eavesdrop, who ended up asking questions. Yeah. And it was because people were out partying, looking to fill the void. And they ended up meeting some teenagers in some lines who were talking about Jesus. And it was quite amazing, actually, how open people were then and still even today, how people are open wow. to God, especially with COVID-19 knocking on all their doors. I remember hearing that story the first time and thinking that is actually such a clever, but in a way obvious way of evangelism. You know, it's and and doing it in a conversation style with your friend. <laughs> so you're not forcing anybody. Uh, you know, so some people have conversations in lines loudly all the time. You know, to to do that, I just thought that is so clever. I love it. Um, and and yeah, from, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, it's things like, you know, being in a restaurant with your family or your friends who are Christians and and before you eat your meal, praying. Mm. You know, come on, guys, let's hold up and pray. Yeah. It's weird, it's uncomfortable, but it's amazing how many people eavesdrop, how many people listen, yeah. you know, little things, casual conversations. Evangelism is not a program. No. It's, it's, a, it's being okay with people knowing that you know Jesus. Not being ashamed. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so from, you know, being a 15-year-old evangelizing at nightclubs to uh, starting a church with your wife, um, please tell us a little bit about that journey and also why the name Audacious Church? So uh, I went back to Australia at 20, went to Bible college, married my wife, moved to England to be youth pastors. And we were youth pastors in Yorkshire in a place called Sheffield for about 12 years. Mm. And during that time, I was with two friends, uh, one of them who's just in the office next door here still. Mm -hmm. And um, one night I was praying with them and I said, Lord, help us to be audacious in our steps. Sure. And it just felt like God sat on that moment. I paused. Mm. I opened my eye. I looked at them. I said, that's it, isn't it? And they went, we're called to be audacious. And they went, and then I said, what's it mean? And like, yeah. they went, I yeah, know, really. <laughs> so it's a great word. It means uh, bold, daring, dangerous, fearless, unrestrained yeah. by convention. So 
challenge assumptions, to be free-spirited, to be original. Mm. And so really out of that, we, we birthed a camp and a conference, youth conference, that ended up over the next sort of five and six years growing to become a church uh, in the city of my birth. So back, if I take you back to Australia when I was in my second year of Bible college, I really felt God impress on my heart three things. Those three things were, you know, you'll move back to England, you'll plant a church, and one day you'll lead the same of God in Great Britain. All of those three things, none of them I wanted to do. Oh, wow. And yet I wrote a prayer journal that night. And at the end of my prayer journal, I wrote, is it God or me? Mm. And then three days later, at a conference, a, a Christian, a pastor pulled me out of the crowd. He said, you're wondering, is something God or you? God says it's him and it's going to come to pass. Mm. And so part of birthing audacious as a church really came out of God answering or fulfilling that which he'd set in motion in my heart as a as a young man in my second year of Bible college. So Manchester, why Manchester? It's a place of my birth. It's my people. I love the city. I love the football club. Why audacious? It felt like a God moment in prayer yeah. and launching seemed like a natural step um, on, on the journey and uh, launched with 90 people over six weeks, went down to 50 people and then bottomed out at 50 and then started to grow from there. So, yeah, and that was 13 years ago. Wow, that's incredible. So um, I, I recently launched a church with my wife and we're still a bit overwhelmed but excited about what God wants to do. And um, so for, for me and for any other uh, pastors, leaders starting out or having done this for a while, but they've, they've, there's some stuff they think they might be missing, what, what advice would you have for, for people planting a church, launching a church in, in, in these times at this time? Uh, you know, what is, I think there's things that are always relevant, but maybe now even more so. I, I think for any pastor, especially at one starting out, there's two things of many that are important, and that is clarity of vision and clarity mm. of culture. Yeah. So sure. vision, if I find it as a clear image of a preferable future, the big question for anybody starting church, anyone starting a business. Sorry, can, anyone you, say, can you say that again? There was such a good definition, a clear yeah. vision. Clear image of a preferable future. Wow. I need Vision to write is that a down. preferable future. And it's really based on the whole idea that when you close your eyes, what do you see in that future moment? Mm. So for me, it's um, a church that stops the traffic, creating traffic jams. Mm. That's the clear picture. Now, what goes alongside of that is so many people go into church because so many people have come to faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's so important that in anything we do, we have clarity of vision. What do you see? We see it time and time again. Mm. And I think our ability to be able to articulate what we see in a soundbite, a church that stops the traffic, for example, means that anybody in our church can now say the same thing and see the same thing and they know exactly what we mean. Um, it, you know, it's large, it's, it's increasing, it's impactful, it's influential and all of those things. So clarity of vision. But I think the second thing that we all need is clarity of culture. Culture is the way we do things. Culture is the way we speak. It's the way we think. It's the way we act. Culture is what we do, and it's also what we don't do. Yeah. So therefore, uh, for us 13 years ago, because we already had a conference called Audacious, then we had a, a leadership culture, a worship culture, a lifestyle culture that was that that accompanied that, mm. which meant that we 
we were able to then launch a church, we had clarity of this new vision, Church That Stops the Traffic, and we had a certain way that we do things, and both of them were crystallized, were crystal clear, sure. and it meant that with those two things, we were able to launch, go strong, and continue to, to build strong on those things. So people in our church know, for example, they just know there's some things we will never do. There's some things that we just don't do. You know, in the social media world that we live in, anybody can post anything about myself um, or about our church. But people in our church who know us don't even need to ask me, say, Glenn, did you do that or did our church do that? Mm, because they mm. would look at it and go, that's not who we are because mm. that's not our culture. So we're honourable, we're generous, we're enthusiastic, you know, we're entrepreneurial. We have these 11 culture points that really define who we are as a church. And if anybody's interested, if you just go on audaciouschurch.com, then all of our information's there. You go to the about section and you can see about our vision, our values and our culture in that area. So good. Oh man, I love it. Thank you. That is very helpful. Um, I, I, I like to learn from other leaders who have gone before and, and you know done big things and walked in what God has for them. There's always so much you can learn from that. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I do have a question, a follow-up question on that because I, you know, the word culture can, can be positive and it can be negative because I think some people uh, who grow up in a religious environment, that was their culture. They had a church culture that was uh, religious and may not have um, been life-giving. Uh, how do you, when you start something new, how do we make sure that the culture we create is a, a culture based on the scriptures and we don't fall back into a trap of, uh, we do it this way because, you know, this is the way we do it. Um, what, what do you guys have in place or how do you keep that from happening? If I can put it that way. Well, I'm actually currently doing a, some research on culture. And uh, this is my textbook at the moment. Awesome. And uh, I'm doing a, a master's degree in leadership, and, and that's what we're currently studying. We're actually talking a lot about culture, um, understanding other cultures and things like that. I think to answer your question that, you know, Jesus, the Bible says that we're to be in the world but not of the world, and that's a really important thing. Yeah. I think the problem with some churches, they're not, they're not in the world to be of any good to the world. They're of a completely different world. What I mean by that is this, is that by being in the world, we have to understand the times, understand the seasons. We have to understand the nuances of the culture within which we live and be aware of those things, but also hold to the clarity that the Bible gives on many things. Mm. For example, the Bible speaks about certain issues regarding love, regarding sex, regarding gender, regarding marriage, regarding the uh, purpose, mm. relationship, way we should do them. And I think that in the world that we live in, I don't know how things are in South Africa, but very much in the UK, it's very, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of wokeness and wokeness is the enemy of awakeness, yeah. I think, at times. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've just got to keep reading our Bible and understand that the Bible is not always culturally relevant to the seasons and the times of what are, are taking place. But we do have to hold fast to what the Bible says. 
but deliver it in a way that Jesus did. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy mm. and that he came in grace and truth. Mm. So what would it like for us to be joyful, not angry and militant, mm. not 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 on social media as Christians telling the world off, telling the government off, but be joyful. What would it look for like for us to show grace to people in society, to people in the world who don't know the God of the Bible and understand what the Bible says? Yeah. And what does it look like for us to have joy, grace, and hold that tension with truth? Because I think what we're finding is this, is that certainly in Europe, people are getting their identity from places the Bible says we should never get our identity. Mm. So the Bible doesn't tell that we should get our identity from our gender, from our sexual orientation, from our pay packet, from our education, from the language we speak, from the color of our skin. The Bible says that we should get our identity solely in Jesus Christ. Amen. Know who we are in Jesus. That, so therefore, becomes irreducible minimum. Mm. We don't shift from that, mm. but everything else becomes a conversation. Yeah, we're able to point people to the truth of Scripture, but we do it with grace and joy. And I think being able to hold to that enables us to hold the tensions of wokeness, a woke world, mm. where the Bible actually teaches things that are very contrary to this cancel culture that we live in. Yeah, um, and. Clarity of thought on that is really important. So as pastors, as leaders, as Christians, we need to be having that dialogue as much as we can with learned individuals, not just people who have experience. Yeah. I'm less interested in somebody's experience and how they define that experience. I want to sit with learned intellectual people to have robust conversations on why these things are such a problem in society and therefore how can we navigate the tensions. Sure, that's amazing. Uh, how far are you into that uh, master's degree? I'm in year three. I'm coming to the end of my third year. Wow. And uh, I have about another seven months. So I have two weeks left on this module, and then I have another module launching in February. So I'm about to have a nice eight-week vacation, which is Wonderful. good. From, from yeah, well, good luck with that, and uh, may, may it be yeah. just everything you want it to be. That's amazing. Um we, ha we have a few more minutes. Can I ask you a few more questions? Is that okay? Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, okay, I, I do want to get, get into some specific things, but before I do that, um, I remember seeing you do uh, or referring to a conversation you had with, uh, with an atheist and you did a drawing and tried to just explain to them that it's not that simple <laughs> to say that yeah. there can be no God. Um, can, for those who are watching and listening that may not have um, heard that before, can you please do that? Because it's very Let me helpful. get a pen. I think it's very helpful. Yeah, please. I should have t told this, you. Yeah. <laughs> my, my father taught me this as a, um, as a child really to help me answer the questions where atheists say there is no God. Mm. So there's a big difference between atheists and agnostic. An atheist said there is no God, God doesn't exist. An agnostic just chooses not to believe in God but is open to the possibility. So what my dad did is this. He taught me this, that if I draw a circle, mm. can you see that? Yeah. If I draw a circle and that circle represents knowledge, everything that could ever be known about any subject sits in that circle and you say to an atheist how much of everything that could ever be known do you know about 
And so maybe the atheist uh, could be incredibly intelligent, very learned. Maybe they shade in that section and say, well, I know about, I know about that much of physics and chemistry and all the sciences and all the arts. Mm. And so the response is very simple. If you know about that and that is knowledge that does exist, but you don't yet, you haven't yet discovered that knowledge, is it possible, therefore, that God can live in a dimension that you have just simply not yet discovered? Mm. The answer, of course, is yes. Therefore, that person is no longer an atheist. They're now agnostic. God could exist. They just haven't discovered him or met him yet. And I think it's a great little illustration that helps us move people um, from the line of absolutely there is no God mm. to now saying, all right, well, maybe there is a God. And I think that's, that's a, a really, really great lesson. It's something called the Engel scale of salvation where people sit at minus 12. Mm. If zero is a point where people actually come to a moment of saying, God, now I know you're real. I want you in my life. It's really about taking people from minus 12 to minus 11 to minus 10 to minus 9, etc. And I love the verse in 2 Samuel, I think it's 2.22 or 22 verse 2, but it says God devises ways where people who are estranged from him may come into relationship with him. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they'll meet you know, the winner of Idol in South Africa and hear you talk about Jesus in something like this and they're at minus 12 yeah. and the fact that you know God makes them go, gosh, and moves them to minus 11 and maybe at minus three, they'll hear a pastor DJ at Liberty Church in Johannesburg, you know, our friend, and that may move them to minus two exactly. to the point where they, you know, Pastor Anthony Liebenberg's church there in Cape Town and yeah. he, he He's there saying, do you want to know Jesus? And they say, yes. But it all started because back at minus 12, they saw an idol singer actually mentioning their faith, and that started them on the journey of salvation. That's why I think that illustration That's is awesome. so helpful for all. Yeah, so good. So could exist in a dimension that you haven't yet discovered. Amen. I love that. And I think it's so important. Like, um, I think it's Paul who says that, you know, some some. So the seed, some give the water, but God makes it grow. It's it's that thing. And and I, I mean, my, my wife and I have seen people that we've ministered to where, you know, if you can just get to the, the, the moment where things, uh, it's normally a, some kind of wound or so, somewhere they just, life just became too much. And they decided because of that, there can't be a God or God doesn't love me or whatever that might be. And, um, and we're actually on a journey with, with someone who, who works uh, for us. Um, and, and it was such a, my, my wife had such a difficult conversation with her because she just decided that because of her race and because of what most people in her race, how they live, that God doesn't love us as much as people from another race. And it's just, right. just she believes that to such a degree that she feels she deserves what she has in life. So it's been this journey of trying to you know get a you know from that place to to a higher place and and to realize that god loves you just as much and god's value on your life is just as much as anyone else's value and i find that that's one of the biggest uh places people get tripped up in in this country anyway there's this hierarchy of value of life and 
Yo, it's it's a difficult conversation. Uh, in some instances, I've had difficult conversations with friends of mine who said to me straight, "Yeah, I think farmers' lives are worth more because they put food on the table." And then I would laugh to look at like, "Okay, so Psalm 139 is only up to a point, you know, uh, can, you can use for all people, but not all people are equal." Uh, anyway, it's it's interesting. And I think there's a lot of stuff like that that is in, in culture that we need to shift from earthly culture to, to heavenly culture. And yeah. those are the conversations that, that I think you're referring to. Yeah. Well, for any, any of your listeners out there who, um, who, who do like to read, there's a fantastic book called The Universe Next Door by a man called James Sire, S-I-R-E. And in that, he's actually talking about worldviews mm. and that there are seven things that define and create a person's worldview. So one of the issues, for example, with the vision of our church, a church that stops the traffic, is thinking visions are most important. The reality is this is people will filter that through their worldview. Yeah. So when we talk about Jesus, God, who loves you, people filter that through the worldview. So if we can understand the seven aspects that create a person's worldview, then we can actually talk into a person's worldview, um, not just talk about the big picture of God being love, but talk about that very aspect of worldview that seems to taint why they feel God can't love them as much as somebody else. I, uh, I did a survey in a high school in Manchester. It was 190 students that we interviewed and went through this seven-step process of trying to identify their worldview, and it was quite fascinating because the 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 those seven things help me to understand why people believe what they believe mm. and actually how better to interact with them with the gospel. So for all your listeners, it's called The Universe Next Door by James Sire. Excellent book. How, how do you spell that surname? Last name? S-I-R-E. S-I-R-E. Yeah, Sire. The Universe Next Door. Okay, I'll I'll post that as well. It's That sounds really, really great to know. My wife and I have also been just really getting into, I mean, I think that helps. Then you, then you, when you start looking at people's um, backgrounds, where they come from, what was their home situation, and then when you get into personality types and love languages, and all these things start playing a role in how you communicate Jesus to someone. Um, it's amazing how, and also the Holy Spirit leads you to know in this moment with this person, you know, these things are important. This way, this. Sometimes I sat in conversations where. You know, yes, you have to be as wise as a serpent, as gentle as a dove, and you just give the love, truth, but, you know, with a lot of love. And then there are moments where I feel God said, okay, you need to be, this one needs a bit more of a nudge. And then you, you put, and then that was exactly what they needed. And uh, it's amazing to, to, to be aware of these things. To le- I love how you're always learning and growing, and I, that inspires me. And I want to learn and know as much as possible for the reason of getting more people into heaven. Amen. So, yeah. Yeah. That's sure. so good. Um, and also, I think it's about enjoying life. Do you, you know what I mean? I, I think, yeah. I think, I think learning, education, uh, me learning to become a better version of myself, becoming mm. more aware of, you know, the impact that I have both positive and negative in other people's lives can certainly help create a more joyful world for us to live in. And, um, and I do, I am committed to seeing the Christian church 
enjoy church, enjoy worship, enjoy love, yeah. enjoy love. You know, let's not be boring. Let's enjoy. Amen. Let's stop the traffic. I like that. Um, Come on, brother, we're almost out of time. Can you, um, I would love for you to finish off with a, a message to the church of South Africa, of the UK, the church of what's, what should we, how should we navigate this time we're in? And then if you can end with a prayer for those who, who maybe realize today that they, they want to move up a notch closer to salvation or to salvation um, and just pray for those who are listening. And uh, then I will end off with a prayer as well. Yeah, perfect. Well, listen, um, I don't know how coronavirus has impacted all of you who are listening to this, you know, either live or, or a later cast of this. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I recognize is that lockdown tends to put people into survival mode. Mm. I think backgrounds can create survival mode. If we come from poverty, if we come from um, lower education, if we come from, from, a, from a hard work mindset and we work hard but don't maybe get much return for that, it can create a survival mode in us. Certainly in the church around the world, I, I think about the United Kingdom, about Europe, there are many pastors and leaders and Christians who've gone into survival mode. Yeah. Schools have closed. Parents have had to teach their children at home. It's survival mode. We're wearing masks in different parts of the world. We're in survival mode. And the trouble with survival mode is this, is that it robs our ability to be able to dream. And my encouragement to everybody right now is to dream again. Mm. Learn, dream again. Sure. We're recording this at the beginning of December. We're coming into the Christmas season. And the nativity story is about dreams coming to pass. It's about dreams that were conveyed in the old part of the Bible coming to fruition with the birth of Jesus Christ. Mm. When we read the nativity story in Matthew chapter 1, the first gospel in the New Testament, uh, on several occasions it says the Lord appeared in a dream. The angel appeared in a dream to Joseph. And so we have dreaming that begins to take place there. There are dreams all through the Bible. Mm. And every single one in our natural DNA, we are hardwired to dream. Yeah, They say that on average we dream between six and ten dreams a night. We may not be cognizant of that. We may not remember them. But every single one of us dream at least six to ten times a night. And, you know, I remember going back to primary school where I was often told off for daydreaming. But the thing about children and dreaming and daydreaming is this, is that when children dream, they dream with no limitations. Children start games off. Let's pretend we're in a rocket. Let's pretend we're flying a plane. Yeah. Let's pretend I'm a doctor. Let's pretend, you know, we're living on Mars. There's no limitations. Mm. And I wonder what happened, at what stage did we as adults start to place limitations on our dreams? I ask you this question. What would it look like to dream without limitations? Yeah. What would it look like to have a dream for your church, your ministry, your life, your children, your marriage, your business? What would it look like for you to dream in such a way that there are no limitations in place? Now I put this into it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 in the Bible. Mm. Now to him, that's God, mm. who's able to do 
measurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's at work in you. Mm. It's an encouragement to dream again. And I'll conclude with this quote, and then I'll pray, Heinz. It's by T.E. Lawrence. And T.E. Lawrence said this, all men and women dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their mind awake to the day to discover it's all vanity. But dreamers of the day are dangerous because they dream with eyes wide open to make them a reality. Mm. So I encourage every single one of you, dream again. And that will be my prayer. So, Father, I pray right now for every person listening, every person watching, I pray would you stir our hearts with the ability to dream again. God, I pray even right now for every person agreeing with this prayer, mm. give them an image in their mind, deep within their spirit, for a future point that they can almost hang their hat on and say, God spoke to me, I have a dream. God, we read that you love to breathe on things, the breath of life. So I pray for any person right now who maybe feels like their dream is has died, it, it's gone away, it's like an ember in a fire. I pray, Spirit of God, breathe on that em ember. Cause flame and light to come to life. May heat come back to the dream and we once again learn to dream again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Amen. Lord. Lord, I thank you for Glenn, for his wife, Sophie, their kids, their ministry. Lord, we thank you for 25 years of marriage and, if I remember correctly, 13 years of audacious church. Lord, we just pray that you will surround them, strengthen them, guide them, give them wisdom as you already have. But I just pray for increase. I pray that everything you have already given them and led them in, that they will be, that it'll go from strength to strength and glory to glory. I thank you for every dream that they have, that they are walking out. I thank you for audacious passion and, and a vision for their city. And I pray, Lord, that you will supernaturally pave the way for that dream to become a reality in their lifetime. I pray for that city to become a city of God. How amazing would that be? Lord, we pray that for our city and our nation as well, that you will, that, that we know the harvest is ripe. And we pray for more laborers. We pray for more people that audaciously chase after you and audaciously share your love with the world. I thank you for this awesome couple and their family and their church, and I pray that you bless them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thanks, Bro buddy. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much. Thank you to your team, to Keja, um, everyone that helped to set this up. I want to thank Anthony Liebenberg for, for reaching out and, and helping me make this happen. Um, I have so much respect for you. You're such an inspiration. Thank you so much. And, and God bless you and your family. I hope to see you in South Thanks, Africa man. sometime soon. <laughs> I can't wait, mate. I can't wait. It's going to be good. All right. Thank you. We'll chat soon. Okay. If you want to, you can hang on there for a moment. I just want to greet the people here. Awesome people. Thank you so much for joining us for Love Unlocks Live today. If you're listening to this later, thank you so much for listening. Uh, may God bless you. And uh, please join us next week again. Uh, please remember to like, follow, share, subscribe. We really would appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much again for being with us today. 
we hope you have a wonderful day and may God bless you. And remember that God's love can unlock anything in your life. Bye-bye.